All right, well, let's get into it. We're in Genesis 47. Now we're real close to the end. We're almost to the end. So I predict another six months or so, and we'll be done with <laughs> we'll be done with uh, with Genesis. All right, so let's get into it here. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, "My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and everything they own, have come from the land of Canaan and now are in Goshen." He chose five of his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, "What is your occupation?" The servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, We have come to live here for a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. So it's interesting that that uh, Joseph did not trust all the brothers to be presented in front of Pharaoh, so he you almost get the sense that he's picking the five best. And uh, we're not really told who they were or which brothers that they were. But but remember from the previous chapter that he had already prepared them for the fact that this is what Pharaoh was going to ask. He's gonna, he, he wanted to know what their occupation was. Now, what do you what 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 sense of that do you make? What would why would Pharaoh, do you think, be interested in it from from uh, from Pharaoh's perspective, which would have been the government perspective? What do you think? I mean, I, ha- I know what I have in my notes, but I'm interested in what you what you think about that. The Egyptians did, but you get the sense here that Pharaoh didn't, that he, you know, that whatever the culture of the day or the beliefs of the people were about who they liked and didn't like, who they, uh, who they admired and who they detested, but you get the sense that Pharaoh had a little bit different, broader view of that. Yeah, Richard, you got your hand up? Yeah, my Bible has a note. It says, although uh, Pharaoh may have been sympathetic to shepherds, but he was probably descended from the nomadic, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Yeah, I don't know that either. It uh, You know, the Bible, again, presents to us the story of how it was, but it doesn't tell us how it got to be that way, okay? All we know is, is that that as much clamor as there is today about the presence of prejudice and racism and all that kind of thing, that's nothing new. We're seeing a ton of that here, aren't we, in terms of how the Egyptians felt about the Hebrews, how the Hebrews felt about the Samaritans, how the Samaritans felt about it. I mean, everybody's got their own sort of way of saying we are the best and everybody else is second class. And so you get a little bit of that sense here. The other thing is, is that with the with the existence of that famine, this was like a worldwide famine, at least the world as they knew it, okay? Presumably, there would have been a lot of people interested in immigrating to Egypt because where the food was, that's where people would, would be drawn to. And so you do get a little sense here that Pharaoh's interested in not just having people come in who could offer nothing to the betterment of their society or their culture. And so he's going to ask that question, well, what is it that you, what what do you bring into the table for us? Or are you going to just come and sort of be on our social service roles and then not, and then not offer anything to, uh, to our community? So again, we're not really told, but, but that's the, uh, uh, the side of it. Um, but again, your servants are shepherds. And so we remember from last chapter 
that it was not only that this idea of who's favored and who isn't was based on your race or your nationality. It was also based on your profession. And so what's kind of intriguing is um, how much through the scriptures shepherds are seen as not very good people that you want to have in your midst. In fact, we're going to see in this chapter that there's a little bit of a, of a, uh, a, a division in terms of how they felt about herdsmen versus how they felt about shepherds. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. And so when you think about shepherds, shepherds were seen as the lowest of the service sector that existed in those days, okay? An example of that is that shepherds, for example, were not allowed to testify in court. Now, why do you think that would be? Why do you think that would be? Presume literacy and education. Okay, literacy and education would be part of it. What about truth-telling? You know, you're out there in the middle of the desert or wherever you are, you probably see things or you think you do. And, uh, you know, nothing to do but talk to yourself and the sheep and other liars just like you. And so, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they were in the same category as fishermen. You know, fishermen are notoriously uh, uh, untruthful as well. So it doesn't really say. But it's interesting that, again, when we look at the way God does what he does, He picks the shepherds to be the ones who bear the truth. He picks the the kid who is the shepherd to ultimately be king of Israel, thinking of King David. He, He speaks of Jesus as the good shepherd who is going to be the one to lead his people. See, God just blows our minds because he does it the wrong way. (laughs) <laughs> right? He's not, he's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be like the, the exalted one, right? But it turns into the shepherd one. Yeah, Carl. One of the natures of shepherds is by, by occupation they have to be nomads. Sheep, sheep, unlike cattle, when they graze, they eat right through the roots. Yeah. So they, they, they destroy the area they're in. Right. And it takes a long time for that to come on. Therefore, the shepherds have to move to the next grazing right. area. Yeah. So that was the bad side. Mm-hmm. You know, from, the, from the Christian standpoint, the good news was they were moving all the time, shedding the word. That's right. It's just nobody believed them when they said it. So that was, <laughs> yeah, Richard. You know, what strikes me is you talking about how God uses the weak. Yeah, the weak and the lesser. And, yeah. All of a sudden, truck drivers became important. Yeah. Or all of a sudden, oh, those people that teach our kids are important. Yeah. And a lot of times we're looking past a whole lot of people. Yeah, we can. And and those are the people God wants (coughs) us to be speaking up for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other side of it is that what comes with that is scrutiny. And sometimes when we're scrutinizing others, we might be less than charitable in terms of how we handle what we see and what we hear. So there's always a little bit of that sense of, you know, how do you, um, how do you, how do you notice truth when you see it? And then once you see it, how do you handle it in such a way that you're being gracious and merciful in the way that you do it? Okay. So great point. All right, well, let's see what happens in verse 5. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Now, if we had a map in front of us, we would we could see that the land of Goshen, what was considered Goshen, was on the eastern side of the Nile Delta. So the Nile, you know, the Nile has the delta and all the tributaries, and it would flood, you know, periodically, and then all that silt would come in, and it was very rich. Uh, uh, it was very rich. In fact, that's where the uh, Giza dream sheets came from, for those of you that are aware of that. Uh, they were invented back in the days of, of Pharaoh. And so, uh, anyway, that, that tells you a lot about the, the nature of the place where, where they settled. And again, it's interesting that they were given the best. They were given the best because of the blessing that Joseph had been to Pharaoh personally, but then also to basically saving the whole, that whole area and it goes back to the dream. Remember the dreams that Pharaoh had? And then he was able to interpret it. And then he was able to say, gee, I hope you find somebody who's smart enough to put this all together. And, and then Pharaoh said, yeah, you're the one. And so it was like, you know, this, this whole uh, series of, of, of events that brings what? The big plan. It brings the big plan together. What's the big plan? Is to bring salvation to the world through the promise, through the covenant that was given to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to that whole family. Well, if that whole family or if that family generation dies, then what what becomes of the promise? Well, God would make it happen somehow, but this is the way that God chose to do it. And so the other thing that's kind of interesting here is that Pharaoh assumes that because Joseph himself is so gifted with special ability, that surely one of the brothers might have that too, right? And apparently uh, he was in for some disappointment, though we're not necessarily told that. Um, so Pharaoh has his own stash, right? He probably has some longhorns in there. He probably has some, you know, some other uh, creatures of, of renown there. And he needed to have somebody who was going to take care of that. So that's this idea of special ability. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I like that idea of thinking of the span of a person's life, particularly in terms of, uh, excuse me, as a believer, to think of it as a pilgrimage, to think of it as a journey. We don't use that word pilgrimage much anymore today, but we do use the word journey. It's the idea that um, when you're on a journey, what are you looking forward to? The destination, right? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask this question. How many of you are journey people versus destination people? In other words, um, if you're a journey person, you're enjoying the journey. You're really, you're into the journey. And you're, yeah, you know, the destination's fine, but, but you're not really geared that way. How many of you are destination people where you say, 
the main thing is to get there. And we don't care whose feelings we hurt on the way, right? Yeah. How many of you? Blake, you're, you're like that? So are you like, are you like really hard to travel with? Like, we should ask Sarah that. We should ask that. We should ask the witnesses here if that. Yeah. So if, and how often is it that a uh, destination person is in the car with journey people? Huh? Yeah. It's terrible. It's a terrible trip, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the exception might be that if it's like a 14-hour trip or something like that, you know, by that last six hours, you're ready to kill everybody in the car. And <laughs> and so, you know, you just can't you let get us there, get us there, right? So there's great value for you, uh, uh, Blake. Yeah, yeah, Marvin. My favorite, my wife's favorite line is, are, are you in a hurry? Are you in a hurry? Yeah. yeah. She's, I'm driving a little too fast. She, oh, did she ask you that? Yeah, are she asked me that. Are you in a hurry? Yeah. 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 A little too fast. So, on, uh, many of you might know this is that whenever uh, I go on trips and things like that to conferences, things like that with Pastor Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> He always drives. So I, if I'm the only one, of course, then I'm, you know, I got shotgun. Um, now, if uh, Matt Lee is with us, he always is in the backseat. Sorry. But, um, but anyway, he drives. So on Friday, uh, we have an annual thing that we haven't been able to do for three years because of COVID. But um, we had done this all the years uh, previous is we go to the golf tournament. We go over to Colonial forward so he picks me up in Arlington and we're driving and you know I just it's been a while since I've driven he is a destination person he does not care about how fast the speed limit is or anything <laughs> like that he does not care and he he drives those of you that have driven with him and so I always have to kind of prepare myself mentally and emotionally and spiritually for that so so anyway so anyway we got that we got there on time but he he is a risk taker, you know? <laughs> he really is. So just bear that in mind. If you have to, ever have to get in the car with him, he's definitely a destination guy. And I am a journey guy. I really, I like to, uh, um, I like to enjoy looking outside and taking my time. And every once in a while, my daughter, who might be in the car with me, or she might be in the, she might be driving with Victoria, will say, um, will say, Mom, Speed up, you're driving just like dad. So, you know, that's. <laughs> so, anyway, I guess I have that reputation. All right. Well, that's all right. So, so anyway, uh, so Jacob says, you know, my life, my life's been a hard life. And when you think about it, it's a hard life. He's had a hard life, especially the last number of years because he's had to deal with these losses. His, uh, his wife died of many years. And then this whole thing with, uh, going for the grain and, you know, whose kid is left behind and just the turmoil of that. Um, but, you know, things are finally coming full circle for him. And so he finally is able to say, okay, it's been tough, but, uh, but now I'm in a good place. So we picked it up in verse 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, the, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Let's stop right there. How do you think that played publicly? <laughs> now, they're way over in Goshen. So I don't know if there, how many Egyptians were over in Goshen. Presumably, there would have been people living over there. Okay, But here, everybody else is starving. 
So how do you think that played publicly? How do you think that was presented on social media at that time? <laughs> what do you think? Not so good. Unfair. Unfair. Like, and these are immigrants. These are not from here. And look what you're doing. You're treating them with preference over the people that have lived here and have contributed and are paying their own way. And now these people aren't. And look how they're being treated. Okay? Verse 13. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? All our money is gone. So see what's happening is there is a division now that's being created by this good thing. And sometimes that happens. A good thing creates problems. And the problem is, is that the, the family of, uh, of Joseph and of Jacob are not having to sell anything in order to be there. They're not having to give up their money in order to be there. They were given this uh, out of gratitude for what Joseph had done. Verse 16. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and, the, and that the land may not become desolate. So notice what's happening. And it is kind of an... It is kind of an intriguing thing, isn't it? What people will do when they're starving. If you sort of broaden that out to the issue of, of safety and security, okay? And that sort of resonates with us in America today. Because of the issue of safety and security, I suspect probably ever since 9-11, but it's been, you know, periodically uh, after that. You think of what would a person be willing to give up in order to feel safe and feel secure? Would you be willing to give up your livelihood? Would you be willing to give up your uh, everything that you've worked for? Would you be willing to give up your freedom? Because that's what they're, they're, they're negotiating. When you say, I'm going to be in servitude to the Pharaoh, that means I'm going to be your slave, and whatever it is you want me to do, i got to do it. And I'll do it in order to survive. And presumably, I think what happens is there's the thought process that says, but after the crisis is over with, it'll go back to the way it was. Guess what? It does not go back to the way it was. Because at least in the case of Pharaoh and his government, once the government had its hands on you, why in the world would it ever give it up? Isn't that interesting? So a few things we can take from that, I suspect, for today. Yeah. 
I was, so, I was just going to say that looking at what happened in Genesis, it's kind of coming full circle because look at all the immigrants that are coming into the country and a lot of people don't want them. They're busing them all over the United States right. and they're getting to all these other cities mm -hmm. and those cities are having to provide yeah. food, clothing, and shelter to figure out what to do for everybody. Sure. Yeah. And um, it seems to me like it's just kind of, it's coming full circle because these people have left their homes yeah. and are trying to find a better life. Yeah. And but the only way they know how to do that is to try to cross the border when they're not supposed to. Yeah, we kind of wish that it would be a little more organized. You know, at least I find that for myself is that I, I don't want to begrudge anybody the opportunity to come, particularly if you're being threatened by gangs or other, you know, political whatever's going on in your own country. Um, I just wish it was more organized, you know. But then in the same respect, you can't have an open border because we don't only have coming here seeking asylum. We have people infiltrating. They're there finding people from all other countries, not just South America and yeah. Mexico. And they're getting in at the border, and they're sending them back all the time, but there's a lot they're not getting either. Yeah, that's when I say I wish it was more organized. That's exactly. kind of what I'm talking about. So it just, uh, it is a real dilemma for us in the Christian community. Because on the one hand, we're compelled maybe mandated, I suppose, by uh, God's Word to talk about the idea of welcoming the foreigner, of being compassionate and all those things. Um, so that's kind of where I come at it, is that if it's more organized, then I'm in a position to see who needs what, and maybe in an organized way we can provide for them, okay? Plus we can know who the criminals are and who the traffickers are and who the drug guys are and all that stuff. Um, when it's when it's kind of free for all like it is now, it's just kind of overwhelming everything. That's really frustrating for me. Yeah. Well, I think in '99 we gave up all persons. We gave up a lot in '99. And then before we gave up a lot of people. Yes. Because we were happy to stay at home and not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And and now it's kind of a lawless situation. So. The law is wrong in this country. It feels like it. And, and, and this whole immigration uh, question can be, you know, considered from different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. But the basis is that the, the present laws have not been held up for, for many years right. concerning who can come into this country under what circumstances and so on. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that in the story, uh, Joseph's family doesn't have to give up anything. They don't. Okay. And so, see, again, the good blessing that they receive plants the seed of resentment, which is going to come later. The, the resentment will find its culmination in the book of Exodus. Okay. Because the book of Exodus starts out with nobody in Egyptian life remembered Joseph. And so when you forget the Savior, so to speak, from years past, or you just stop talking about it, then that sets the stage for the likelihood that this group now is a threat rather than this group is a blessing. So 
It's kind of interesting how you can see history repeating itself over and over again because, you know, the problem is as human beings, we're still the same. We are the same ever since the Garden of Eden. And attempts to improve us have not worked. All right? If anything, we're more sophisticated in the way we sin. I mean, maybe maybe we're better at that. Yeah, somebody had their hand up. Yeah, Dennis. God didn't want to put them in the ocean forever. He just wanted them there for a while. Yeah. And they're cold. Life was going to be real good for them for a while. For a while. Yeah. So something had to change to cause them to leave. Yeah. And this feeling of resentment was already starting. Right. All of them caused them to be forced to think about, okay, we've got to get out of here. Yeah. And so it seems to me like God put this in place to prove to you. Yeah. And you didn't want them there for long. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? But see, again, remember, God, God's god got the big, he's got the bigger plan. And if we didn't have the story written down in the scripture the way it is, we wouldn't have it. We would not have a sense of that, would we? That the bigger plan was that they were going to go back to Canaan, right? It's just that, you know, when you're living in Goshen, why would you anybody want to go back to to you know? Why would anybody want to go back to this nomadic life in Canaan? And so there's to some degree how easy it is to take your temporary quarters, right? Which is what this was supposed to be temporary, and uh, turn it into this is where we are, and then it moves from this was a, a grant given to us by the by the benefactor of, of Pharaoh uh, based on what Joseph had done. But now it goes from we're here as guests to we own this. How easy it is to go there, right? And and just that's human nature. All right. Well, let's see what uh, let's see what happens in verse twenty. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. By the way, who's getting rich in this? The government is getting rich, right? The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the clergy, the priests. Yeah, we should go back to those good old days. For they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough food from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. This is why they did not sell their land. Now, what do you think would have been Pharaoh's thinking about why not to mess with the priests? Why why not support them? It almost kind of makes it a state religion, does it not? That experiment has been tried in several countries, mostly over in Europe, um, and it has kept the the religion, if you will, has kept it intact. The problem is, is that it eventually kills it. Any of you that have traveled in Europe, how full are the cathedrals on Sunday morning? They're not. They're not. And many of them, because they're so poorly supported by the people that worship there and then also by the government, that they have to uh, rent their place out during the week as museums for tourists from the U.S. to come and visit. Isn't that interesting? And so, again... The thing that was a good thing, which was we're going we're gonna to bless this religion uh, by the state, um, turns out not to be such a good thing 
because then the state uh, owns it in many ways. I think it's in Sweden, and some of you that are more familiar with the area can can uh, uh, um, can attest to this. I learned about this when I was on that. I did that uh, mission trip in Latvia a number of years ago. It was a uh, pastoral training thing that we were part of, and I went over to help with that. Um, and so there were a number of Swedish uh, pastors who had immigrated to Latvia, and the reason why they had is because the Swedish government was dictating to the churches what you could teach and preach and how you could how you could do what you do, including uh, not just the ordination of women as pastors, but also the ordination of openly gay people to be pastors. And so the conservative Lutherans, and this is in Sweden, Lutheranism is the state religion, um, or it's protected by the state, but the state was trying to tell those guys what they could preach and teach, and if they didn't do it, you could get defrocked and perhaps suffer prison time. There was a there was a uh, 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 bishop there who was uh, on trial for uh, preaching Romans one in the Bible uh, regarding uh, homosexual relationships. So anyway, um, they immigrated over over to Sweden. So. That's another example sometimes of the state not only protecting a religion, but the state mandating and dictating what it is that the, the pastors can preach and teach. So it's not always a, uh, always a blessing. Verse uh, 23. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning the land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce comes belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that it did not become pharaohs. So we have two groups that are getting rich here. We have uh, the government and we have the church. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And so, again, you think, how did that play publicly, right? How did that play publicly? Because now you have clearly the haves and the have-nots. And it's mandated and it's dictated by, uh, by the government. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Nobody's dying. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. Now that when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So this was a pretty important vow. We talked about this a long time ago, that um, 
when there was a really important vow that had was going to be made between a father and a son or between father and or somebody is that uh you grab the genitals of the person that you're swearing to that makes it a pretty serious moment right <laughs> and and again it's just a way of reinforcing and, and reiterating that this is a promise that you're making on behalf of yourself and also generations to follow that's what that's about okay so uh uh, clearly, uh, Jacob is aware that this is temporary. We're going back. And what would he have based that on? The promise, right? Remember the promise? See, that th- that's always the thing in the back of the head is the, is the promise. The promise that God made that, that as wonderful as Goshen is, Egypt is saving us. It's a wonderful thing. This is not our permanent home. Our home where we're headed eventually someday beyond his lifetime, really is in Canaan, the promised land. Thoughts uh, thoughts about this for today? What's your takeaway today? There's just so much. How do you sort it out? Okay, well, then we're done for today, and we'll pick it up next week with uh, Chapter 48. And again, I, uh, the reminder that what we'll be studying um, after uh, this is uh, kind of building on the theme for today with the Holy Spirit stuff. So we'll talk about Holy Spirit and... And maybe we'll all get little tongues of fire on the top of our heads. So, All right, let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for, for showing us again as we're toward the end now of the book of Genesis how you have been working. Uh, most of the time, Lord, in spite of us, you have been working to bring about the blessings and the gifts of the promises that you make. And, and the other thing is how consistent and faithful you are to that promise. Yes, you would have liked for uh, the, the family of Israel and, and Jacob and Abraham, you, how much you would have loved it if, if they were like these perfect families that would be the, the, the total example of what it means to live a life of faith. But Lord, we know we don't do that. We know we fumble and we fall and we trip and we sin and we do all those things. And yet through it all, the consistency of your promise is what uh, is what we count on. So help us, Lord, with that today. Remind us today that that uh, even as our world is so confusing and in many cases seems like it's just kind of going down the tubes, your promises are what we hang on to. And the promise that you give to us is that as we uh, complete our journey here on earth, we, we have something great that we're looking forward to, and that's the gift of heaven. So help us to hold on to that. Help us to share the good news of that with those around us so that we can be people of hope. And the hope is not just in the betterment of this world, but the hope of the world that is yet to come. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. We have Memorial Day tomorrow. Many people will be out on the road traveling or meeting up with family and friends. So watch over us, protect us, keep us mindful of uh, of what we're doing. And we'll be together next week. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.